Thomas Merton once said, I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. Welcome to the 77th episode of St. Dimpna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because in those moments where we feel lost and like we're walking through life, like with the shadow of death lurking above us, in those moments, God is asking us to trust. And with the help of our sisters and brothers around us, we just might be able to find that trust, that hope and hold on. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, Prince Harry made news again, but this time because he's now working at a mental health startup. USA Today gets us started. Better Up Inc. announced Tuesday the Duke of Sussex would be joining their team as its first chief impact officer in a role which he'll aim to, quote, lift up critical dialogues around mental health, build supportive and compassionate communities, and foster an environment for honest and vulnerable conversations. My hope is to help people deliver their develop their inner strength, resilience, and confidence. Harry wrote in a blog posted to the company's website, I firmly believe that focusing on and prioritizing our mental fitness unlocks potential and opportunity that we never knew we had inside of us. As the Royal Marine Commandos say, quote, it's a state of mind. We all have it in us. He added, being attuned with your mind and having a support structure around you are critical to finding your own version of peak performance. What I've learned in my own life is the power of transforming pain into purpose. Harry has spent the past few years championing mental health services and opening up about his own struggles. Last May, he joined forces with the British Ministry of Defense to launch HeadFit, an online platform of resources to help troops deal with mental health problems, including consequences of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Back to me. Say what you will about the members of the royal family. Being a, of Irish descent, I have my own feelings of negativity toward them and all they represent. However, we have to recognize when they are doing something good. And in this case, Harry deserves some praise. Sure, the title and position of chief impact officer may be nothing more than honorary, and it may just be a move to help promote the company and get their name out in the public eye. But is that so bad? In reality, we have a celebrity who is talking openly about mental health and emotional wellness, and that's a good thing. Getting people to feel more open to discuss their mental health experiences, more open to reach out for help when they need it, these are all crucial things that Prince Harry can help with in his new role and in general as an advocate for mental health services. So, you know, credit where credit is due, and let's hope this all has a positive impact on mental health in our culture. On to the next topic, Nebraska is working on expanding mental health services, and it's definitely worth mentioning. Nebraska TV provides the information. Representatives from the Nebraska Chamber of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention spoke with Governor Pete Ricketts and state senators on Monday to emphasize the passage of three bills that will increase mental health resources across the state. 
We've got more work to do, said Ricketts. We have to work more to normalize these conversations to make sure people have these resources out there. The coronavirus pandemic has taken a toll on many people's mental health, and two bills from Senator John Arch could improve insurance coverage when reaching out for help. Both are telehealth bills, and those are really important, especially now with the pandemic, said Eileen Brady, AFSP, Nebraska Chapter Advocacy Chair. That gave Nebraska and everyone access to mental health care where perhaps they may not have been able to access it before. Advocates from the AFSP pushed for those two bills and LB247, which would establish a task force to oversee the implementation of the new Suicide Lifeline 988 in Nebraska. It is so encouraging to see efforts like this across the nation, and if I'm going to remember one positive takeaway from the pandemic, it's going to be the opening up of mental health services through telehealth and outreach in ways we've never seen before. And this idea of a 988 suicide lifeline is one we've discussed on the podcast before and one I'm sure we're going to discuss again as the national implementation comes near. And I want to highlight it here because it's a vital step in the right direction for saving lives, both by preventing suicide and reducing the number of police interactions actions during mental health crisis events, which we know comes with huge risks for those of us suffering with untreated mental illness. Let's pray that this legislation passes in Nebraska and that other states follow suit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to Blessed Nicholas Gross. Born in 1898 in Germany, Nicholas was baptized and attended Catholic school from 1905 to 1912 when he first worked as a grinder at a rolling mill and then as a coal miner like his father before him. Two years after starting as a coal miner, he joined the Christian Mine Workers Union, and after working on his education in the evenings, he eventually gave up his job in the mine and worked with the union full-time. He worked as a secretary and eventually as assistant editor at the organizational arm of the Christian Workers Movement, seen as a group with a paper that was highly critical of the Nazis. The paper was eventually banned, but continued to be published, and Nicholas moved deeper and deeper into the resistance movement, taking part in making plans for how to help the country if Hitler was ever to be out of office. He married his love, Elizabeth, and the pair had seven children before 1940, when he endured interrogation, house searches, and monitoring in relation to a failed plot to assassinate Hitler, even though he was not connected to this plot and was well known for his anti-violent approach to opposing the Third Reich. He was sent to prison where his wife was able to visit him twice, making note of the torture he had clearly experienced, and he wrote a letter to her in the moments before he was hanged, cremated, and his remains were scattered at a sewage plant. He was a typical man, a worker like the rest of us, but when the moment for bravery came upon him, he answered with what can only be described as a supernaturally inspired yes. And for that, we can look to him as an example of what it truly means to be a Christian. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. 
O God, who was pleased to give light to your church by adorning blessed Nicholas with the victory of martyrdom, graciously grant that, as he imitated the Lord's passion, so we may, by following in his footsteps, be worthy to attain eternal joys through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. A few days ago, I found out that my boyfriend has kleptomania. I found out because he got caught stealing. I still want to be with him, so I'm thinking of the best way to support him and pray for him. Is there a saint who had kleptomania or struggled with something similar? How can I continue the relationship like before without also being hypervigilant or nagging since I definitely don't want him to get in trouble? How can I support him from the sidelines since I'm not a therapist? Let's start by joining in prayer for Anonymous, for her boyfriend, and for everyone living with impulse control disorders like kleptomania, that they may find the help they need and the peace they deserve. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let's start off with some definitions from the recoveryvillage.com. Kleptomania is defined in the DSM-5, the Manual of Mental Health Diagnoses, as a recurring failure to resist impulses to take or steal items that are not needed for personal use or monetary value. Someone with kleptomania often knows that stealing is wrong, but they experience a sense of pleasure, gratification, or relief while committing the theft. However, after the theft, they usually experience feelings of guilt and shame. Unfortunately, many people think of someone with kleptomania as a thief, and people who live with the disorder typically receive little sympathy. Kleptomania is a disease, but because of how it's perceived by the public and the stigma that is associated with the disorder, someone with kleptomania may avoid seeking treatment. If you suspect that you may have kleptomania, some additional signs and symptoms that can identify kleptomania behavior include persistent intrusive thoughts, low self-esteem, feelings of pleasure and joy during theft, feelings of regret and shame after theft, and elevated alertness. I think your approach of wanting to be there for your boyfriend is such a beautiful example and witness to all of us to remember that accompanying our friends and loved ones who are suffering from mental health conditions is so important, especially when the condition carries a lot of stigma. This brings up such an important reminder for all of us who love someone suffering from mental health issues. We have to remember to separate the illness from the individual. Mental illnesses lead us to make decisions, say things, take actions we wouldn't make, say, or take if we weren't experiencing these symptoms. And this is so vital to remember to help us continue to support our loved ones in the best possible manner. In this instance, it isn't your boyfriend being bad or making bad choices. It's the illness leading him to make those choices. And that's helpful because it reminds us, one, not to take these things personally whenever we can avoid it, and two, to remember how important it is to try and help him get into treatment so he can have peace. Because remember, he doesn't want to engage in these behaviors. 
back to the recovery village. Treatment for kleptomania typically involves psychotherapy and medications may be used for co-occurring disorders like depression or obsessive compulsive disorder. These co-occurring disorders may have developed as a result of kleptomania, which is why it's critical to get treatment. If the disorder goes untreated, additional disorders can develop. So it's hard to say if there are saints who experience kleptomania, although we can assume that there are. And I'm reluctant to suggest a saint who was a thief, since I don't want to conflate being a thief with the experience of kleptomania. But let's try and play it safe with St. Augustine as someone you can reach out to when praying for your boyfriend. In his confessions, he writes about the now famous episode about the pears. Quote, Fair were those pears, but not them did my wretched soul desire. For I had store of better and those I gathered, only that I might steal. St. Augustine, please pray for Anonymous and their boyfriend. A different Anonymous is up next. My daughter is married to a wonderful young man. We can't thank God enough for him. Her previous boyfriend, however, was an alcoholic, and the relationship with him left some deep emotional scars in her. One in particular is the fear that anyone who drinks, even one drink or two to three drinks a week, is a potential alcoholic. This puts strain on family gatherings where alcohol is served. Do we not serve alcohol and play it safe? Or do we serve it and let her deal with high levels of anxiety? She attends Alcoholics Anonymous, and this has helped her, but I know she still experiences huge levels of anxiety and fear. Any suggestions? First off, let's join together in prayer for Anonymous's daughter and everyone who cares about her, that she may experience peace and experience understanding from all those who love her. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. There are so many things to consider here that I think are important. First, to validate and normalize your daughter's reaction given everything she's been through in the past, in addition to really helping her see how strong it is that she's trying to work through the experience by going to AA and maybe suggesting therapy uh, might be helpful if she's interested in helping her process everything. So remember, her feelings make sense given everything she's been through. So cutting her some slack here is vitally important. That being said, it's also important for her to work on understanding the difference between abuse and appropriate use. This can be tough because once we've experienced the fallout from someone who abuses alcohol, we tend to want to write off alcohol completely as a means of keeping us and those we love safe. But we have to keep pushing forward to learn that everyone is different in their relationship to alcohol. While some of us need to abstain from alcohol uh, because even the slightest bit of use can lead to dire consequences, there are others of us who are able to use alcohol temperately without it becoming a problem. And it's important to remember that someone simply using alcohol in an appropriate manner will not necessarily lead to the behaviors that have hurt us in the past. One last important point, as you mentioned, considering banning alcohol at a family gathering to help her. Uh, on the one hand, this might seem like a smart idea because it helps alleviate anxiety for someone you love, and I think it certainly could be an option given what you know about her experience with alcohol in the past. On the other hand, however, if she's going to learn that there's a difference between use and abuse and that it can be okay for some people to use alcohol, she's going to need to see that in action to help her work through her thoughts given her history. 
So given all of that, it might be worth asking yourself some questions as you work through the situation. Does anyone who attends the family party end up being rowdy uh, after a few drinks or makes family gatherings unpleasant? Are the other family members on board with not serving alcohol? If not, do they know or understand your daughter's situation? If this is, is this a permanent or temporary change? Does your daughter have coping skills that would help her if people drink around her? So it's a lot to consider, but know that you'll be supported by our prayers. Jewel wraps us up. I was wondering if you could discuss how to approach subjects such as waiting until marriage, chastity, abstinence, porn, etc. in a way that does not damage one's, especially women's, mental health by shaming them. Do you have any resources you recommend? I've been struggling so much with how to not only understand these church teachings, but also how to share them with others, especially youth. Let's start by praying together for Jewel and everyone trying to find a way to truly share the truth with love and compassion, that they may find a way so that those they are sharing with will be open to hearing that the church, while not being a rigid set of rules, may have a better option. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. God bless you for trying to work through understanding church teaching and then wanting to share it with others. What a wonderful witness you are to all of us. And yes, you're right. These topics that you referenced are really difficult to talk about, especially considering so many young folks see the church as being outdated on these issues or lacking the moral authority to have an opinion given the scandals in recent years. As someone who has moved through the journey of being Catholic to falling away to reverting and becoming one of those really annoying people who would use apologetics to prove church teaching to becoming who I am today, let me share some thoughts. First, people who live in a manner contrary to church teaching are typically not doing so because they are evil. They're making choices out of love, compassion, and a desire to be loved, and it helps to keep that in mind. Next, for any of us who have been involved in sin, and then we overcame it and now follow church teaching, we have to remember that we only do so by God's grace. We didn't overcome our sin because we figured out some secret that helped us follow church teaching. We aren't better or stronger than people who are still stuck in a similar sin that held us captive in the past. It's only because of God. So we shouldn't feel boastful or better than anyone. And remembering this helps our sharing of church teaching come across less as triumphant and arrogant and more as humble and grateful to God for what he's done for us. Last is this powerful quote from Pope Benedict XVI that I always remember when I'm getting ready to share church teaching. It helps me stay on the right path, and I hope it'll help you too. Catholicism isn't a collection of prohibitions. It's a positive option. This helps me to remember that the church and church teaching isn't about trying to tell people they better fall in line or else they're bad or wrong or defective, but rather that the church has some ideas that are a more positive option than other ideas out there, and we should at the very least consider them. I hope that all helps. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in a future episode, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.